nowadays I feel like everybody is so focused on drills and what's a drill to do this what's a drill to do this but we would just sit there in front us and do it for hours because I was able to feel my body and I could see the ball and how it was coming off the bat and that would tell me what I was doing wrong and so my my dad was constantly teaching okay if the ball's doing this what do you feel in your body compared to if you want more power better vision and a bulletproof mindset then i would like to welcome you to cg plus complete games online player development center now baseball and softball players of all ages and skill levels can access a multimedia experience providing education and instruction on your personal mobile platform Rob Cruz has put together an online video portal, a remote hitting program, as well as a series of online hitting courses boasting a curriculum that features pitch recognition strategies, power, video analysis, mental skills, and then some. For more info, log on to www.cg.plus. That's www.cg.plus to find out how you can complete your game today. Welcome to the Transcending Sport Podcast with Rob Cruz, an audio experience bringing you interviews, conversations, and more from some of the most intriguing personalities in the sports world. And now, your host, Rob Cruz. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Transcending Sport. I am your host, Rob Cruz. My guest is Tori Vidalez. He is former Texas A&M standout and All-American former MPF player and current AU Athletes Unlimited player. And also she represented and led the Mexican national team, the Mexican Olympic team to a medal in this past Olympics. Tori, welcome to the show. Thank you. And unfortunately we didn't quite get a medal. We made it to the bronze game, lost a heartbreaker. okay. Okay, good, good. Lost a heartbreaker, 3-2, but still a great experience. Still proud of our journey. <laughs> so let's talk about that because for some people, they, they didn't, most people probably didn't even know that Mexico had a national team and that they were that good. Did that come out of nowhere or did you guys just happen, just happen to have the right people in the right places at the right time on the team? And how'd that happen? Yeah, so I think it is kind of like on the down low, especially if you don't follow softball very closely, mm-hmm. but um, a lot of us started. So I started with the team in 2016. So I was with them for six years and I was playing with Mexico before softball was even voted back into the Olympic. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Into the Olympic cycle. So um, softball got voted out after the 2008 Olympics and then was out for years until 2021, technically. And um, it's out for the 2024 Olympics and then back in in 2028 when it's in L.A. So it was it was just such a, um, a perfect alignment for my life and my career. And um, a lot of us, we had been with the team for so long that we were able to really build it into something great. You know, when I first started, we were not very good. We were getting... Yep run ruled like literally 20 to one like it was it was tough but as we continued to keep playing and recruiting more people like me who aren't necessarily from mexico but had lineage from mexico you know our parents grandparents born in mexico we were able to get that dual citizenship and 
sorry, my dog is barking, <laughs> but um, we were able to kind of build it as we went. And each year we just continued to get better and get better arms and get better um, hitters and really started to put ourselves on the map internationally, which was huge. Yep. So I think by the time we got to the Olympics, we will, or we were, we were still technically the underdogs. I feel like a lot of teams thought that it was going to be an, an easy game when they played us, but mm -hmm. we gave everyone a great game. Uh, the only game that we really like fumbled the bag on was our very first game, you know, our opener, just all mm -hmm. the nerves and everything going on and just the whole situation in general, we lost yeah. to Canada, which we've beaten them before. And we we actually beat them to qualify for the Olympics in yeah. Canada in front of their home crowd. Wow. Um, so it was just such a full circle moment to know like we came from getting run ruled 20 to one and then showing up at the Olympics, playing Japan into extra innings and losing two to one and losing against USA only two to zero, you know, yeah. losing the bronze medal game three to two, like still such a, an amazing accomplishment. And I, I'm is. proud of us. We went through a lot and we were able to stick by each other. That is. So since we're on the topic of the of Olympics, let's talk about this because I, I have a lot. So I grew up in a very multicultural neighborhood. I had so many like Mexican American friends growing up. Um, and I always felt like when I was around my Mexican friends, they had such a sense of pride, of, of national pride for the, the for their home country of Mexico. Um, so for you, what was that like being a Mexican American? I know you were born here in Texas, right? Yes. But your parents probably weren't, were they? They, my parents were, my grandparents. Oh, they were. Wow. So. Did you inherit that pride, that that Mexican pride, growing up? And then, what did that feel like being able to actually represent the actual country of the, of Mexico? What was that like? What was that like? Well, I think it's interesting, just because my childhood, um, I I always say like I grew up in not a very cultural home, just mm -hmm. because. So my dad's family, uh, my dad is the one that has the Mexican Mexican lineage and um, his whole family is from Dallas. Mm -hmm. And so when we were growing up, we were living in Houston and we were constantly playing ball on the weekends and, mm -hmm. you know, it made it really tough to travel. And on top of that, my dad is actually 10 years younger than his middle sibling. So his sister and his brother are 10, 12 years older than him. And they had kids a lot earlier in life. So they had kids in their twenties. Mm -hmm. So all of my cousins on that side of my family were in their twenties and thirties and I was still in elementary school. Yeah. So it made it a little bit more difficult to connect with that side because we weren't around them constantly and we weren't in the same stages of life. And mm -hmm. we just lived a very different life than my family in Dallas. And so uh, it's funny. I give my dad crap all the time because he doesn't speak Spanish. And <laughs> wow. uh, I know it will. So when he was growing up, you know, like his his brother and sister were already out of the house and he was, you know, with his mom and didn't get the opportunity to speak Spanish because she wanted him to be really good at English when he went to school so that he didn't get made fun of. Yeah, right. So right. my grandma really did instill that, you know, like pride to be Mexican, but also like it was at this point where, you know, it wasn't a, a, 
a great thing to be different at the time, you know? And so he was trying to, you know, go with the the status quo and be a normal kid and make yeah. friends and all that. So the way it kind of all trickled down, it was so crazy because I don't feel like I really got past that just being um, in Houston away from the family. And mm -hmm. uh, my mom is white. So it, it's just so funny how it all worked out. But I think playing for Mexico originally really helped me connect back to mm -hmm. just my heritage and um, understanding like where I come from, because even though I don't, I don't visit Mexico all the time. I, I really don't even speak fluently. I can understand a, quite a lot of Spanish mm -hmm. and I could probably have a conversation if I really needed to, but, um, it gave me a new sense because my grandparents are from Mexico and I think, uh, both of them had passed fairly early in my life. Mm -hmm. And so, it almost felt like I was connected to them in, in a different way. And it gave me a lot of pride knowing that, you know, I could go out there, feel connected to them, make them proud and realize like, look at this amazing journey that they gave their family. And here I am now playing on the biggest stage, doing what I love. That's great. You know, I normally, when I, when I do this, I normally start at the beginning and, and work up. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I'm glad we started here. Now I want to go back to to um, I want to go back to Texas A and M. Yeah, for sure. And what what it, what it was like playing there, because I got so many Texas A and M. Like I'm gonna tell you right now, all of the Texas A and M alumni that I have met in softball mm -hmm. are like really high quality individuals. Oh, like, nice. As people. Yeah. Like, That's if, awesome. like, like if you took them out of softball, like I feel like a lot of the A and M girls that I women that I've ran into through my through my journey mm -hmm. that went to AM. If you took them, if there was no such thing as softball, like I feel like they would be good because they have yeah. these other qualities. Like they could, okay, there's no softball. I, I can still do this. Because <laughs> yeah. I, you know, and I wonder if that's something that's embedded in the culture of the program. Is that something that, that, that you guys are mentored in that way when you get there? Or is that something that in terms of the recruiting process is, 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 Coach Adams, was she was she was she recruiting certain people, certain types of people, because she realized that that's what she wanted in her program. Like, what, what? I think it's definitely a testament to Coach Evans and the type of players that she does recruit. Mm -hmm. um, I think, well, so you know, growing up, whenever I was getting recruited back in those times, like mm -hmm. it was so focused on not only what you were doing on the field, but how you were treating people off the field, how you were dealing with the failure. Um, how did you speak to your parents? How did your parents speak to other parents in the stands? Like every single thing was being looked at because that's all we had. Whereas now I feel like it's kind of shifted more towards social media and that's how a lot of people get recruited nowadays. So it definitely was a different time period in terms of recruiting. Mm -hmm. And I, I do think once you get there, you you come in. I always tell people this, like I came in as a little girl, like not very developed mentally. Like, yeah, I, I still was the same person and had the same values. But as you're there and you're playing for her and growing as a human, mm -hmm. you are gaining all these softball skills, but you're gaining so much more than that. You're, you're learning how to be on your own for the first time. You're learning how to manage your time. You're learning 
um, so many things that you wouldn't learn just being at home with your parents and going to the college down the street, you know? So I think it's definitely half and half of, you know, the people that she recruits and also just the journey of being at A&M. And it's such a family culture that you really learn how to, how to take care of one another and, and eventually learn that softball is not going to be there forever. And coach really does um, preach that is like, who are you off the field? Because it doesn't matter what you do on the field. It's about how you treat your teammates and how you kind of phase into the real world. Yeah, because I always wonder when I, when I, in my travels, when I run into these to the people who play for certain coaches in college, it doesn't seem like it's an accident. No, not these, at all. These people are just like phenomenal people. <laughs> it's really, it's really strange because th that doesn't happen everywhere. Yeah. Because winning, th th so there's different levels of winning for me. It's like, okay, yeah, you're winning, but are you winning? Exactly. Are your kids, are your players actually winning? You know. So, um, let's talk about. Do you have? Was there ever an like an an, an an inflection point? Was there some point in time during your college career where you came in, you're going through the process of I'm an incoming freshman, da, da da da, and then this thing happened, or this light bulb went off, or or and you just and you just completely became or embodied your, your, your greatness. Was, was there an inflection point for you? Do you, do you mean like physically, like in the game or, or, or mentally or mentally or both? Um, you know, for me physically, like actually playing the sport, it was very easy of a transition, which is crazy to say, because like we always talk about how, hard the jump is from high school to college but i i remember getting there and just having so much fun playing and learning and um that was the first year my freshman year in 2015 was the first year that they put all of the games on sec plus so you know my parents um were traveling back and forth at the time with my brother who played at university of houston baseball so they had to split time between our games so I just remember being so excited that I was on TV. It was just on that, but on TV and like, you know, my parents getting a chance to watch and just being so cognizant of, um, you know, thousands of people could be watching this. Like I'm going to play the game the right way, you know, respect the game and be um, just, I'm hustling everywhere. You know, I'm, I'm not letting my face droop. And I think a lot of that did help me, you know, when I did mess up, realizing okay like next pitch and so that was that made the transition a little bit easier just knowing that i had more opportunities and i would continue to have those opportunities if i was doing everything that i could but um i think mentally for me the the biggest like switch was the leadership aspect because coming in you know i'd always been a leader on my team kind of naturally and that's a position that I just gravitate towards mm -hmm. and have since I was really young. But there was a moment where I I said something after a maroon and white game to one of my teammates. And in my head, it, it didn't sound offensive. It didn't sound wrong. Like I was just telling people what I saw. And it ended up really hurting one of my teammates' feelings. And 
I didn't realize it until the next day when coach Evans pulled me aside and was like, Hey, like, I want to let you know what you said really like impacted her. And that was, I don't think that that was the right thing to say. And you need to really work on not what you're saying, but how you're saying it to people. And I always tell her like, that was the switch for me to realize like, this is so much more than just my talent. Like this is okay. How can I lead my team? How can I be a great teammate? How can I be a great leader? and not just a great softball player. So that was my sophomore year. And from then on, I, I've always put such an emphasis on how I'm talking to people and really thinking before I'm speaking. And is this going to contribute to the conversation or contribute in a, in a positive way to their life and their journey, as well as me not feeling like I didn't say enough. <laughs> yeah, we, we call that we call that emotional intelligence, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which I didn't have when I came in, yeah, but yeah, yeah. It, I was able to develop that with yeah, the help yeah. of coaches and teammates. And that, that's great that Coach Evans had the presence of mind to have that conversation with you because that's that's a, that's human. That's people development. Yeah, you know, and I think that's something that we don't always look at when we look at athletes. Sometimes, especially the elite athletes. I don't think we do a great job as a society of looking at them as people that have likes and dislikes and, and feelings and emotions and struggles and all these different things, which leads me to another thing I want to talk to you about was mental health. And because right now, especially in sports, the topic of mental health is something that has been at the, at the forefront you have a lot of different athletes, whether it's Kyrie Irving in the NBA, or whether it's Naomi Osaka in, ten in tennis, um, who are being more vocal, and you're seeing the impact that many people have come out and said, yeah, I feel that, I've also, I've also felt that. And everybody's expressing it differently. Um, for, so for you, um, what's your perspective on, on whether it's personal or whether it's something that you you know, with the, with the teammate or or teammates, what's your perspective on the on the on the impact that just taking care of yourself and, and things like that in terms of how it affects how you perform and how you get along with your teammates and things like that? I think it's it's crazy because the moment <clears throat> you put on a jersey, people <clears throat> make you out to be this person that doesn't have emotions and feelings and doesn't live everyday life like a normal human would. And it's actually quite the opposite. You know, we're doing all of those things on top of, you know, going to practice, making sure we're getting all our meetings in, we're training, we're, we're playing games, we're being scrutinized on social media. And so I think it's such a different time now because we are so media consumed mm -hmm. that, that stuff really does take a toll on you. And it like, if someone's sitting there bashing you from their couch who didn't make their JV team <laughs> and you know, they're coming at you and it's at first it's like, okay, yeah. Like this guy's terrible. Like he probably didn't even make his team, but then I'm sure like, especially for the high, high profile athletes, like just getting absolutely slammed on social media. And if a normal person was getting that, who knows what would happen, but yet as an, as a professional athlete, you're expected to take it and act like it doesn't bother you or act like nothing's wrong. And that's not fair to us as athletes that we can't be normal humans mm -hmm. and athletes. We're only put on this pedestal to 
be perfect and everything has to just kind of roll off our back and we don't see these things because we're not real human so i think it's so important for especially the high profile athletes to be taking a stand and being like hey like this is what's going on this is normal and i'm going to take some time to myself because without that who knows if they would even still be playing because it really can take a toll on you mentally and make you not even want to play the game anymore because we all started because we love the game that we play and so for us i think staying true to yourself no matter what's going on like if you feel some type of way get help you know like there's people out there that can help you but it's also hard because as the population sees it they don't see your everyday life they just see you on the big stage and think that you just showed up they thought that you just wake up and you're on on the field on the court you know and they don't see all the things that go on behind the scenes so if one thing falls it's like if you take one little rock out of the the pile it's it's all going to fall so you have to make sure like all of your stones are in the right place so that you're able to perform at that high level yeah so when i coached in the professional in the npf that the experience totally transformed my idea of women's professional sports because i saw the end I saw the end game mm-hmm. because I, I've, I've always worked in helping people to get there. But when you're working at the end, at, at what, they, what they're getting to, you're like, hmm, I understand <laughs> now. I totally 100% understand. And just being able to be around those those phenomenal heroes, to be, to, to be quite honest, um, I was like, okay. Now I have a different perspective when I even go, now when I go back to working with high school players, JV players, you know, middle school players, my college kids when they come home, I got a whole nother uh, perspective about what, what's to come for them and what it takes and how I, how that mental makeup is important. Yeah, and, it's and tough. Ha- and it gave me a certain level of, of pride or a certain level of responsibility in making sure that my, that my athletes were mentally and emotionally prepared to understand what this is really all about. 100%. It's, you know, and, yeah. I think it's so crazy too, because, you know, growing up, you think like being a professional athlete, you have unlimited resources, you have unlimited people to help you. You have like X, Y, and Z, but especially like at our level, even though we're professionals, like with the MPF, we didn't, we didn't have luxuries really at all. Like I was lucky if I even got a new pair of socks after they ripped you know so i think it just goes to show the difference in say like mlb versus npf which drastic differences you know we were getting paid literally they got paid the same as we did for one pitch so it it just is such a grind and like you have to really love it to be there and like you have to be the best of the best to still only get a penny a day or whatever it was you know so it just the difference is is insane to me. Yeah. That's good. That's good stuff. So athletes unlimited. I have a lot of you know in my mind. I, I didn't really follow it as closely as I would like to have followed it. So only thing I know about it is one thing I do know is that I'll just say AU because it's, it's shorter. Yeah. <laughs> it, one thing I do know is that AU did a great job in marketing mm. the experience 
and bringing it to and bringing it to the handheld, bringing it like it was always in my face. Yep. <laughs> you know, and I, I don't feel like I don't think any I don't think any other sport really does that in women's sports better than they did. So even if I wasn't there, I felt like I saw I felt like I saw the game because I was seeing the highlights right up. They were, they were popping up on my timeline. So that in, in that area, they did a phenomenal job. Yeah. In, so in, in, in that area, yeah. With AU, that was the number one thing. So this all started mm-hmm. in 2019, mm-hmm. and our first season was 2020. So it started very beginning of 2019, and we had five players who were on the or i'm sorry three players that traveled to like see the presentation mm-hmm. uh, basically were there from ground zero to kind of help build and guide the league in the direction that softball players wanted it to go mm-hmm. and that was such a big topic of discussion was branding and marketing and content and all of these things because honestly you can't have a successful league or business without these these days because social media is so prevalent it's so in your face Mm -hmm. you you see it everywhere any social media site that you go on you have to have a presence and you have to have good quality content Mm -hmm. and i will say that i think is the biggest difference between npf and au and why au is so successful because these are still the same girls that are playing you know a lot of these girls i played with in the npf Mm -hmm. in college Mm -hmm. but we weren't being exposed to the outside world like we are with AU you know they have professional cameras they have people who are graphic designers for a living you know they have people that are making these videos they're doing all these things whereas in the MPF we actually our Instagram was being run by our general manager's 13 year old daughter so you see the difference in just how you're putting yourself out there how you're putting your company out there and that is why AU has done so well because not only are they posting during season they're clipping all the great plays they're giving you updates on the games and who's winning and what's going on who's the captain all these things and then in the off season they're continuing to upload content and keep the audiences engaged and make them want to come watch the games make them want to see more and now they've expanded to four sports and basketball actually just had their opening night last night um yeah so for them to be doing that not only for softball but for women's sports in general has been such a huge win for all of us as athletes i agree because i believe that the concept of women's sports has to women's team sports Mm -hmm. has to catch on it does in order for other people to feel the the the, uh the unction to support yeah well and too like Mm -hmm. you think of the the differences you know like the big league teams they have the big league money to pay these great creators and that was what we were lacking so long was funding and support and so our ceo um john patchkoff and jonathan soros really believed in us and were like we want to put softball in a place where they can feel like professionals and they have done that tenfold like it's it should be and I, yeah. I, I will tell you this, and I'm, I'm going to say this, and this is for somebody who's been in it, is still in a way in it, but also looking at it from, you know, from the outside and watching how it all unfolds. Mm-hmm. I can see the growth in specific players who I know personally, mm-hmm. who have grown into 
really, really smart business women. And I believe it's because of the because of the, because of the AU. Yeah, like, I think incredibly shifted in terms of their maturity as business women, how they present themselves, their messaging, their consistency, and you like and like you said, um, if you're in if you're in any kind of business, you are a media company. Mm-hmm. Like you have to be able to do put out quality content, high quality content in a professional fashion consistently in order to be taken seriously in a world where everything is handheld, everything is social media. You're a media company. Yeah, and uh, the thing that I love about AU is that on top of softball, we actually have programming for us that help us outside of softball. You know, we've done personal branding, we've done finances, we've done um, taxes, we've done all these things that are helping us on the outside world because we know as softball players that we've never had that resource. We've never and, had and, someone to come in and and, and talk AU, to you AU has provided you with that. Yeah, so it's actually the Athletes Plus programming. And every sport, if you're an alumni, like if you don't, if you're no longer with AU, but played in the past, like you can come to these and most of the time they're on Zoom um, during season, but now we're doing a 12 month long program. So we're able to split it up a little bit more, but we're able to talk about all these incredible topics that, you know, we need to know because eventually softball will end and we have to learn how to navigate that. Whereas before, like, it's just like, okay, play, play, play. And then when you're retired, bye, see you later. Thanks thanks for the help, you know? Whereas Athletes Unlimited is really trying to develop us as humans, mm. as well as softball players. This is great. I'm glad you're saying this because that's those things that people, people need to know that. Yeah, it's people important. People know that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, because you, you got to think I'll be about it. I'll be, I'll, be, I'll be honest with you. I've had players... And I'm not gonna lie, I, I would tell them, if you wanna go play pro, my advice, if you wanna go play pro for a year, just to experience it, go ahead. But anything beyond that, I don't know. I think you might wanna go get a job. <laughs> That's just me looking out for them as best as I do how to look out for them in terms of advi- advice. Obviously you can do what you want, but because you're going to be yeah, 35, I mean, you're gonna, you're gonna be 35 one day. You're going to be 35 yeah, one day. You know? <laughs> there's been so many people that have had to retire because financially they, they can't make ends meet, you know? And no one, especially in our sport, no one should ever play or quit playing because they can't afford it. Mm-hmm. They should quit playing when their body gives out on them or when they're not having fun anymore. And we, a lot of times before AU came around, like we didn't have that luxury. It was like, if you couldn't pay your bills, then you got to go get a real, a real job. And a real job is not going to give you the whole summer off to go play on the diamond, you know? So you really had to pick and choose. And that's why I love AU because not only is it a short season. So if you have an outside job that um, you can sometimes depending on the job but sometimes they'll let you come and play and especially if you're a coach we're in a great time during the summer and it's only six weeks so you can prepare and you know beforehand what's going on how long i'll be there and you can plan for this and you can really extend your playing career as long as you're performing and as long as you still love it like we're more than happy to have them so influences you had did you have any growing up did you have any major influences or that kind of kept you going, motivated you, some, something, somebody to look up to or in, in, in this whole journey? Honestly, I would just say probably my family. Yeah. Um, 
my my whole family is very athletic and mm-hmm. my you know my dad played at texas tech played baseball mm-hmm. at texas tech mm-hmm. uh, my mom played basketball at a juco um my brother played growing up mm-hmm. and like i played so many sports we both did and mm-hmm. because our parents you know my mom played literally anything under the sun volleyball basketball softball um track cheer like everything that you could think of and they wanted us to fall in love with the sport the same way that they did so they gave us the opportunity to try a bunch of different sports and pick which one we liked the most so a lot of times people are like oh yeah you only play because like your family played and i'm like no i i chose softball i i was great at soccer i was really good at basketball um wasn't very good at track for very long (laughs) but you know we tried all of these things and we both ended up my brother josh and i we both ended up choosing softball and baseball and even though we were such opposite players you know my brother was very quick agile a very true middle infielder and growing up i was a middle infielder uh i actually got recruited as a shortstop no one ever believes me anymore but i was Um, (laughs) but i was very much so a power hitter Mm -hmm. And so we were so opposite, but mm. I always looked at him because he played the game the right way. You know, he was always hustling in between the lines. He was giving his all. Mm. Um, he wasn't throwing temper tantrums if he was getting out. Like I just admired the way that he played the game. And he was just, he was such a smaller guy, like a very small stature. He was only five, seven when he graduated high school, like mm-hmm. 135 pounds, like tiny, but you could always tell a difference when he was on the field versus when he wasn't. Mm. And I think that said a lot to me about how you play the game, not only what you were doing, but just like how you did it on defense, you know, Mm -hmm. make your, making your presence known and doing all these things that we say, like respect the game. He made me want to emulate him, even though my style of game was different. I got you. And so I think he was, he was the one that really, and and pushed me to want to be better but also on the mental side like my dad i always tell people this that most people like on the way home you know they'd get grilled about like a bad performance my dad was in the car quizzing us about situations he'd be like all right runner at first and third balls hit the third where are you going and we'd have to tell him okay if i'm playing shortstop okay where am i going who am i getting the ball from where's my next play if the ball's to your left where's your play if the ball's to your right where's your play so we were constantly working on the iq of the game how do we get better not only physically but mentally and learning the game and not just playing the game Hmm. oh boy you're preaching right now (laughs) (laughs) so this is a lot so now um i want to talk to you because i you know we met um, so I, you know, we met down in Tennessee at the uh, at the Mojo Camp, mm-hmm. and um, I, I was I was impressed by not just your knowledge of hitting, but because pe- a lot of people know hitting. I mean, you can watch a video, read a book, and you kind of learn about hitting. Right. But I was impressed by your ability to communicate it, mm. because being an effective coach is not about what you know, but how much of it you can communicate effectively. Right. Um, in, in terms of what I've seen out there. And a lot of times, and this is not a put down on anybody else out there, but when I see the, a lot of the, when a lot of the pro and Olympic athletes come to these events, they spend most of their time standing around 
and they shine they shine mostly during the autograph session <laughs> <laughs> but you actually shine in in your teaching your teaching gift oh thank you very much and, and it was really it was really uh refreshing because i don't and i've been doing this for a long time i've seen a lot of people who you know gold medalists silver medalists whoever but i haven't seen that many people who care so much and are so passionate about giving back truly where it really and, and maybe they're out there i just haven't seen that many of them <laughs> <laughs> so in my time so i appreciated it and, and, and so it's an honor to have someone like you on the podcast because i'm all about i'm a development person so i want to talk hitting for a second and yeah, I, want, I want you sure. to give us you know as an all-american at, at, at a&m and professional hitter and i believe that i really believe that the hit that hitting is is 80% mental mm-hmm. and then everything else falls into the 20%. But the question becomes, you know, because the, when people say the mental game is such a broad topic, so many things mm-hmm. can, can be mental or emotional or, you know, happen in between the ears for you, you know, how, how much of, how much of your, the mental game, did the mental game play a part in your success and your consistency um, specifically in like just, in the box, understanding with different types of pitchers, what type of adjustments you had to make. Did that, did that, were you, did you have an innate ability to do that? Or was it something that uh, you were trained to do or both? How, how did that work out for you? For me, I think it's um, very innate to hit. Mm-hmm. I think I grew mm-hmm. up. Mm-hmm. So my, my dad was actually my hitting coach. He's the only person that I've ever taken lessons from. Mm-hmm. We had a cage in my backyard growing up. And so mm-hmm. my brother and I were constantly out there. And nowadays I feel like everybody is so focused on drills and what's a drill to do this. What's a drill to do this. But we would just sit there in front toss and do it for hours because I was able to feel my body and I could see the ball and how it was coming off the bat. And that would tell me what I was doing wrong. And so my, my dad was constantly teaching, okay, if the ball's doing this, what do you feel in your body compared to if you're hitting it this way and the ball is going this way. So learning it very early, I think gave me a very good development in the sense of like, I know how to hit. Mm -hmm. I just have to, figure out what my body is doing and for me it's always been see ball hit ball i don't get into this big approach and having a plan of okay i'm gonna hit this pitch i'm gonna do this if you bring it over the plate i'm swinging and i'm gonna swing hard Mm -hmm. and so getting into college that was always my goal (laughs) and it came very easy until you know the pressure of being the big hitter or all these things started happening you know your face these all American pitchers. Mm-hmm. We got another guest on the podcast. Yeah, I see we got another guest here. <laughs> <laughs> but mm-hmm. I think my junior year actually I struggled quite a bit. I hit like 297, which was really low for me. And a lot of it was I was just so down on myself because I was so used to being the one, right? I was mm-hmm. I was the one that people wanted in the box during those high pressure situations. And I wasn't performing. I wasn't producing. I wasn't really helping the team at all, but I stayed in the lineup because I was trying to get on in different ways than just hitting. Mm -hmm. 
So even though I didn't feel confident in my swing, I didn't feel like I could see the ball very well. I was finding ways on and I was able to come back the next year and completely flip it. I was an all American my senior year. And I think it just goes to show like my skills didn't change. It was all mental and like putting myself in the position to overthink and try to overproduce and do all of these things. But my senior year, I was just telling myself like, let's just have fun. Like it's the last year, who cares what you do? Like just enjoy the game, enjoy being here, enjoy wearing the uniform and and being with your teammates. And so that's where I think like the mental part for me was like dealing with the high expectations and um, the pressure that came along with being the high level player really began to take a toll until I realized, okay, I need to take a step back and I need to reevaluate what's going on here and what my end goal is. And my end goal was never to be an All-American or do all these things, have all these accolades. It was to be the best teammate that I could be, whether that be with my talent or with my leadership and to win a national championship. And I always tell people this, like I would give up my personal accolades for a national championship because we do it, we do it collectively. Like I could be an all American and we could still suck, you know, like it doesn't matter. It's, it's a team sport. And so if, if that's your end goal, you have Mm -hmm. to set your eyes on that. It's not, it's no longer about me. It's about us. So (laughs) I like that because obviously you can't win a championship by yourself Mm -hmm. (laughs) in a team sport. And you, you want to be able to, the type of leadership that is required at a championship level is the leadership that makes people around you better and inspires others to be better, mm-hmm. and inspires others to work harder, and inspires others to, others to want to kind of get as close as they can to where you are if, if you're that leadership person. But I, I want to go back to something you said just now. Um, it was the way you said it. You said you're not the kind of player that gets all into approaches and and, and game plans. Mm-hmm. But if it's over the plate, you're gonna hit it. And the way you said that, the, the, the level of conviction that you had when you said it, and your facial expression and your body language when you said it, it was like, shit. <laughs> I, don't wanna, I don't wanna be up playing against her with that's the game on the line. That's the goal. Because that's what, that's what you just, you just did that naturally. Like that's, that came out. And I wish, like my goal is to be able to get all of my players, all my hitters, to really believe it the way you believe it. Yeah, because that, that, because, because that is the game plan. Like you don't need a game. Like, yeah, you do that, well, you can have that mindset. Seventeen inches, right? <laughs> and they got to bring it over there to strike you out, to. which is they what they're trying to, to do. So, uh, it's I just, so I, simple, but, but people. The fact, the fact that you said it out loud, I'm glad you said it out loud because I, I need I need my girls when I'm in the cage with them. I need them. I need them the one at minimum say to themselves. Yeah. <laughs> but their body language is clearly, it. their body language is clear that you really don't believe or even know how good you really are. Oh yeah. No well, idea. I feel like we're What's taught that as, as women to not be as like proud or cocky or confident mm-hmm. anything. So mm-hmm. when I've experienced this too, when I've given lessons, like with, with girls, especially young girls, like they couldn't even tell me something that they thought that they were good at regardless if it was on the softball field. 
every lesson I would do, okay, what's something we need to work on and what's something that we think we're really good at right now. And they would immediately tell me what they thought that they needed to work on, but they would struggle telling me what they thought that they were good at. And with guys, like they're constantly taught like, oh, I'm the best. Like you can't strike me out, like all these things. And girls are like, oh no, like, it's fine. Like we need, we need to start taking up space. Like who cares what they think of you? Like you're an athlete. You got to have that mentality of like, no one's going to beat me. What's up everybody. This is Rob Cruz. And I'm going to let you know how you can get 15% off any purchases you make at diamondkinetics.com. Whether it's the DK swing tracker for baseball or softball or the DK pitch tracker for baseball or softball, you will get 15% off by using the promo code Rob Cruz. That's R-O-B-C-R-E-W-S at checkout. Check out diamondkinetics.com and get your 15% off today. Because if you don't think that, they will be you. So where do you think that's, that sense of empowerment comes from? You think that comes from, I mean, obviously it's, it's got to come from multiple places, but I think I think it's I think it's it's upbringing. I think it's in the it's at home. It's in the house. I think it's playing for the right types of coaches that are, that are gonna give you that positive feedback to to build you up, you know. But then at some point, you know that word confidence. I was on the phone this morning with with a college coach talking, and we were talking about confidence, and I was like, confidence is such a broad term mm-hmm. because everybody thinks they're confident. Just because you're confident when everything is going well doesn't mean you're confident. Yeah. I think confidence just comes from a belief in yourself. Mm-hmm. Like for me, I, I know that I did the work. I know that I can do it. I've done it before. And even though you're going to beat me once, that's the name of the game. Like I'm not supposed to get a hit seven out of 10 times, mm-hmm. but those three times I'm going to make it count. And that's where I feel like we kind of, we fail our players. Like the younger ones is it's such a we taught them like you have to get a hit every time and or we've made them to believe this from watching whatever they're watching that they have to be the the big hitter to be considered good or to be confident in themselves and everybody brings a certain aspect to this game whether it's hitting whether it's defense pitching catching etc you have to believe in yourself so that other people believe in you like Mm -hmm. When I said earlier, I was like, I know that I was the one that people wanted me in the box in those pressure situations. Pressure only comes because you've done it before. Pressure comes because you've met those expectations and you've exceeded them. Pressure doesn't come to just the random person that comes up to the plate and strikes out. You know, they they expect it out of you because you've already shown them what you can do. Hmm. That's good. That's good. And I was talking on the phone <laughs> yesterday with someone. <laughs> and we were t- I was I was using the parallel of like religion and the heaven and hell concept. <laughs> uh-huh. And I was saying, you know, we're, we're trying to hold our athletes up. To, we're trying to hold them to something that they can't even that, that they can't even hold up to. Yeah. Like you, you cannot be this this perfect being. Never. Right. But yet we're trying to get them to think they can. And then when they don't, we wonder why they go into a they spiral into depression. Like yeah, we wonder, and- we wonder why you know why they're dealing with those things. And we got to let them know that hey, that's okay. That's the other side of it. 
100 percent. and that's why it's so important to play for the right coach too because a lot of coaches every time you mess up they'll yell at you they'll belittle you Mm -hmm. um just everything wrong that you shouldn't do Mm -hmm. and luckily for me i played for a coach that encouraged us to make mistakes because he would always say especially in practice he'd be like i want you to go so fast that you mess up because you're learning the pace that your body can go at and you're learning to push that pace and once you start pushing yourself to the point of error you're learning from each rep right so you're going to get a little bit faster in that in that transition out of uh the ball out of the glove you know and he wanted you to make mistakes so that you could learn from it and so that you could do it better the next time and he was never worried about winning he knew that the talent would bring the coaches right to recruit and then once we were able to perfect our like small little um whether it be like our fielding position or our swing on an outside pitch once you're learning how to i don't want to say perfect because it's never going to be perfect but once you're learning how to get better and progressing at that mm-hmm. it's going to show up on the field you know like that is better than a kid that's so scared and shaken in her boots because if she messes up, her coach is going to yell at her. That creates a very small player. Whereas if you give them the freedom, they open up, they, they play a little bit bigger. Their chest is a little bit more open. You can see the confidence on them because they're not afraid of making someone mad at them because they messed up. Mm -hmm. That's, that's, that's important. So, um, what is, what are some of the things that you see? Like, so you played, Travel ball in what? What year? What year was that? 15, 16, oh. 17? No, I played travel ball in eleven through fourteen. Okay, so from that time period of your travel ball career, because you committed to A and M in what eighth grade? Uh, no, I committed my freshman after my freshman year summer. Okay, so. From the time that you played in travel ball from what you can remember in terms of the culture of travel ball, right? Mm-hmm. To now, culture of travel ball. And just the culture of the game. Yeah. Like, just the game of softball, because it's not very different. What, what, what are some of the things that are different? And, and it's not about what's good or bad about softball. This is just yeah. about what's different about softball. What, what's different right now in terms of like just the game, just the sport? Yeah, I feel, uh, so social media wasn't as big back then. Mm-hmm. Um, so nobody was focused on like, oh, the top 100 players from whatever. I remember specifically, we went to the Los Alamitos tournament in California. Mm -hmm. It was all the big teams, you know, firecrackers. I played for impact gold, um, the athletics, Mm -hmm. um, all the big teams. Right. And we had a slapper on our team. One of the fastest girls I've ever seen, just such good touch on the ball. All the stuff she ended up going four for four that game. And I I don't even, I I think we lost by like one run and they're all like pool games, so they don't really matter. But we were shaking hands in the line and the coach pulled her aside and was like, I think you should be much higher on that list. Like you had a great performance. And we kind of just like looked at each other and we were like, what? Like, what what are you talking about? Yeah, like what list? And we asked our coach, we're like, yo, KC, what is he talking about? What list? He's like, oh, just some dumb list that they make all the California girls pay attention to it. And we were like, oh, that's weird. And so we found out like a bunch of us were on the list, but we had no clue. 
because we didn't care like it was like <laughs> right, right, ooh, right. a list like put me on a list and mm -hmm. like all this stuff like i want to win i don't care what yeah. number you think i am i'm still going to show up i'm still going to perform so i think now it's become so numerical and less performance like yes of course like you want to perform well and you want to do all these things but i feel like so many people's end goal is to get seen or exactly. to get clout on social media. Yeah, you know, I and tell it, my kids, it's all, you guys make it all about the flex. You want to flex. Yeah. You want to be able to, it's, it's what you can post. You work in silence. That's what it's we what, did. It's whatever we, you can post. If I can't post it, then it doesn't matter to me. Exactly. And I think right. a lot of people mm -hmm. get so caught up and like, oh, she's not, she's not hitting. She's not working out. Just because I'm not posting it doesn't mean that I'm not doing what I need to do, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think it's so easy to get caught up in that, especially now, like, okay, which college coaches are going to be at this tournament? Okay, I need to make sure I'm posting all of my good plays and I'm doing all of these things so that I can get seen from Twitter or get seen from Instagram or TikTok or whatever it is. So I feel like it's much more centered around, okay, who's going to recruit me? Because if I want to go to OU, I want to make sure that I'm like going to OU because they're winning all the national championships and they're so famous and they're getting so many Instagram followers. And I've heard that legit from a camper before. So I'm like, <laughs> what happened to like wanting to win a national championship and loving where you go to school? Because at the end of the day, only one team wins. Mm -hmm. Only one team leaves the season on a win. Everybody else ends their season on a loss. Hmm. And you have to love where you go to school, not because you win national championships, but because you love the environment, you love the people. And I feel like it's so, it's gotten so far away from that where it's become like, I just want to win a national championship and get Instagram followers. And back in my time, it was all about like, right. I'm trying to become the best softball player that I can be and I want to mm -hmm. win. Mm -hmm. And so that's a big shift of just the, the outcome desire mm -hmm. versus like the work that we're putting in. Yeah, the why. I think the why has changed. The why has changed yeah, yeah, definitely. tremendously. For sure. So I know you get you got something coming up soon when you're gonna be you're gonna be pretty busy. Yes. I'm tell, tell, us, tell us about your 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 journalism career and, and or and your broadcasting career. How that how'd that start and like you know, what do you do and and how you feel about it and everything like that? Yeah, so I actually the first time like broadcasting ever came on my radar was my senior year of high school actually i was hitting at this time this was insane at one time i was hitting like 920 yep. because everyone was intentionally walking me and then i would get a couple hits here and there and i was like seven seven for eight or like seven for nine it was just like this ridiculous number because i had so many intentional walks so i remember this um, journalist came out from like a news station to come and interview me. And I had no clue at the time, like I was hitting that high. Like I, I was so oblivious. And my coach was like, Hey, they want to interview, uh, interview you. I was like, for what? Like, I don't get it. And they were like, Oh, well you're hitting like in the nine hundreds. It's like, Oh, no way. <laughs> cool. <laughs> and I remember doing the interview and it like uh, played on the news and somebody from my high school was like, have you ever thought about doing broadcasting? You're very comfortable in front of the camera and you speak well. And um, 
I was like, no, you know, never thought about it. I wanted to be an athletic trainer going into college. So that's mm -hmm. what my major was when I was going in was kinesiology. Mm -hmm. I took one chemistry class. I was like, all right, I'm out. So <laughs> when I was looking to change my major, I was talking to my academic advisor and she was like, you know, I think um, this communications and journalism. So it's called ag common journalism. And me, I'm not a very like agricultural person in general. So I was like, no, that doesn't sound like it's going to be for me. Like I thought I was going to be learning how to talk to cows or whatever it was going to be. <laughs> and she was like, no, like this was in the communication school a long time ago. It got dropped and the ag school picked it up and they've kind of revamped the program. It's very hands-on and you're going to do all kinds of um, different communication classes. So it ended up being the best thing I ever did. I changed into the class. I was able to take some awesome classes. Like I loved going to school because it was so much fun. We did um, radio class, photography, graphic design, um, media writing. So I was able to, to like kind of test the waters and all these things. And then on top of that, you know, we have um, the 12th Man Productions who is like the sports broadcasting for A&M. Mm -hmm. And we we had a videographer so like each team gets assigned to videographer student workers and so my sophomore year i was um asking one of our videographers if they could help me with a project for class i was like i i have this speech written and i want to just do a voiceover of like maybe some softball clips she was like yeah for sure just come in the office we can figure it out and i was like okay cool so i walk in and i'm like just blown away by the studio like it's beautiful and we walk in and I'm like, so what do you guys do? And she kind of gives me the lowdown. And I'm like thinking like, that sounds awesome. I would love to work here. Mm -hmm. So one of the full-timers walks by and my friend Allie was like, hey, she wants to work here. And they were like, okay. <laughs> and they were just like, okay, sounds good. Wow. Um, set up a time with Andy, who's the boss and we'll get you started. And I was like, okay, like what? <laughs> And they, they had had a couple athletes that had come in and worked for them, but they never actually like worked. Like they weren't in the office doing the work and doing all these things. So as I was still a full-time student, full-time athlete, like all these things, I was finding ways to put myself in the studio and really learn about the business and learn about different um, positions that you can work like during a broadcast and all these things and i ended up meeting meg aronowitz who is the i believe she's the coordinating producer for espn for mm -hmm. softball and gymnastics and she knew who i was because she was producing a lot of the games and my freshman year i was not yet with 12th man mm -hmm. so i met her and she loved she was like i love that you're like shadowing all these people and learning all these positions and um if you like ever need anything please feel free to reach out and mm -hmm. it just kind of worked out to where I, I i started traveling with or i was on the football crew my junior year which was really awesome i got to like go around with the big camera and mm -hmm. film for the big screen and um, my senior year i worked with the volleyball team so i was doing b-roll for the volleyball team i actually got to go on two trips with them and travel and shoot the games so I was doing all of this while I was still on the softball team and like still that's, had my own team stuff to crazy. do. That's great. I know it was insane. And mm -hmm. um, so I knew whenever I finished school that I wanted to call the games 
at least through A&M because I knew that they, they wanted me to call the games and it would be great practice because it's not on national television or anything. It's just like through the app. And I was, I graduated and I was like, yes, like I want to do this. And I had no idea what I was doing going to the first game, but luckily Amanda Scarborough who does that for a living for ESPN called me gave me some tips and was like okay like you have the replays this is what you're doing like all this stuff so that really helped Mm -hmm. and then um in january before i started i got a call from uh meg aronowitz who was like we want you to come audition for the sec network and i'm thinking like first year out of college like okay like i love this like absolutely Mm -hmm. i go out to the audition and they were like you are so comfortable like i was shocked like dari um at sec he was like i've never seen anybody do it that flawlessly and i'm just like over here he's just like pumping my head up and i'm like (laughs) i'm like hey (laughs) and yeah so i got hired at sec network and did that my first year flying back and forth from college station to charlotte Mm -hmm. and was calling games so i was doing shows on thursday friday and then calling the games on saturday sunday so from that moment on, it just kind of was like, this is what I enjoy doing and I'm still around the game and I'm still teaching the game, but not as a hands-on position. I get to watch softball for a living. And yeah, since then, obviously 2020 and 2021, COVID kind of like ruined everything. But um, last year I called games with SEC Plus mm-hmm. at a and mm-hmm. And then this year I'll be doing the same and then hopefully get hired back on at SEC Network. That's great. So we will be looking for you on SEC Plus, right? Yep. Yeah, we'll be looking for you. We'll be on. Oh, and yeah. And where can my follow? And I'm glad my followers had an opportunity to hear your story and hear your thoughts and hear your perspective. I, 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 this was important to me to have you on. Oh, because I really, I really, I really appreciate what, what, what you bring to the game. Um, and I want you to give us your handles so we can follow you and my followers can follow you and, and, and uh, connect with you. Yeah, for sure. Um, my my handles are all at Vidalis Tori. So V-I-D-A-L-E-S-T-O-R-I on everything. Like Which that. makes me sad because I used to have a really cool username. My username <laughs> what was, was it? Toryville Slugger. And it was so cool. Like everyone knew me as Toryville Slugger. And so like it was fun. But then I ended up changing it after college. So Vidalis Tori is pretty much everywhere. Twitter, Instagram, that's pretty much it because I don't get any on anything else. <laughs> that's good. All right, well, thanks for coming on and I will catch up with you soon and good luck with your broadcasting this this, this spring and we will check you out. And good luck with AU. Thank you so pro, much. And your pro, uh, your pro tour this summer. That's we'll right. All right, thanks for having me. <laughs>